welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. I'm Caleb. I'll be one of your hosts today. How is it going, Phil? Caleb, it's been a really busy week. Uh, end of the first quarter is coming up, so you know it's just crazy, uh, but not as crazy as some of the big news that comes from the Hufford House. Caleb, tell the listeners. Yeah, we had our baby daughter last Wednesday, the ten sixteen. She was born ten o'clock at night. She's doing great. My wife, Becca, the mom, she's doing great, too. Um, we're blessed that her mom's here this week to help her out, and she was able to take her to a doctor's appointment Monday. We got another one on Friday, so I'm able to go to work, save some of my time off for later when when we maybe need it a little bit more. So thanks to uh, Mom Filer for helping out there. Yeah, really, really cute baby. I I love the pictures Becca's posting. You know, I said that to her before the show started today. Yeah, we, she's, I mean, I'm biased, but she's a cutie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, you know, jumping into some football stuff here with college game day, being in state college last week. I Again, I always love whenever they spotlight players. And this week they, they spotlighted one of my favorite players on the roster, Yitor Gross Matos. And, you know, I, I recall some of his story from in the past but as i as i watched them talk about the incidents that happened with his father and with his brother um it hit me deep how about you yeah especially the part for those who don't know he um his brother they were playing a little league baseball game and a storm passed through and a lightning strike hit him directly and killed his brother when they were right around, you know, 12, 10, 12, 13 years old, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So the part that definitely got me the most was then his first sack was in the Michigan State game two years ago when they had the three-hour storm delayed by lightning. So he said he felt that his brother was there, you know, kind of congratulating him on his first career sack in for Penn State. And, yeah, definitely got me some feeling, some things there. Yeah, it was it was a really cool story. I mean, you know, it's – his father passed away. He drowned saving Yitor whenever Yitor was yeah five years like, old or something like yeah, that. Yeah, was he like three or five? Some, and he fell know. off the boat and went down to get him. So, you know, a lot of tragedy, but it's it's a testament to Yitor that he's been able to look at these challenges and instead of shying away, embrace and and use that to to inspire him to play in the memory of his father, play in the memory of his brother. It's you're right. You know, it, it hits you right in the feels. Yeah, and he still still uses Gross as his uh, father's name, so he still gets to use that. And then Matos is his step stepfather's name, and he mm-hmm. that who adopted him and his two brothers now just one brother, I guess. So he's able to honor them both of them by keeping the double last name. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, well, let's get into some game action. What happened this past week? Let's do it. Yep. First one we got upset. I don't know. This might be a bigger upset than the Georgia game a couple weeks ago. Number, or sorry, unranked Illinois, shocking number six Wisconsin, twenty four twenty three. They are down by nine points in the late in the fourth quarter. Scored a touchdown, then kicked a field goal to win it just as time expired. Wisconsin, for some reason, while trying to run out the clock, threw the ball on third down. It was intercepted, and then yeah, Illinois got down to the field, hit a thirty nine yarder. To, to win the game, even though he had missed one earlier, so he still gets to be the hero of, of the game. Cohen, not a great game for the, the Wisconsin quarterback. In addition to the interception, he also lost a fumble. Jonathan Taylor also lost a fumble. Um, I think at least two of those drives, maybe even all three of those drives, led to Illinois scoring points, so those were some really big turnovers for them. Cohen did have 264 yards passing and a touchdown. T- Taylor had 132 yards rushing and a touchdown, so... Overall, not bad games for them, but a uh, uh, surprising loss for Wisconsin. In the SEC, there's just so much strength at, at offense everywhere and a lack generally of defense that, yeah, it was still a huge shock that Georgia lost two weeks ago. But I would agree with you. I, I would definitely say this is a larger upset simply because 
how frequently have we said on this show who's playing better defense than Wisconsin? And and we pretty consistently said nobody. Mm-hmm. And then with and then Illinois comes out and and wins this game. And you know the kickers they have to have a short term memory. This guy did because people only remember your last kick. He sends it through the uprights, and it was great. Uh, we've also talked about Lovey Smith being on the hot seat. I, I think this cools his seat, at least for the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, you got to think Wisconsin playing Ohio State this coming week that they were just looking ahead. They're like, uh, Illinois, one of the bottom feeders of the Big Ten. Well, we mm-hmm. should easily beat them even without our best effort. But good on Illinois to have a great game plan led by Lovey Smith and to get his team fired up for this game, a game that they shouldn't have even been close in. I think it was about a 30-point spread by when, it, when uh, the game kicked off and they were able to pull it off. Yeah. Next one we got here, BYU upsetting number 14, Boise State, 28-25. I think that's BYU's second top 25 upset of the year, even though they're only 3-4 and four in the season. They've had a tough schedule. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer, uh, Boise State star, freshman quarterback, didn't get to play in this game due to an injury. His backup cord had two interceptions that proved costly. BYU uh, won the third quarter 21-0. That gave him an 18-point lead. Um, that Boise State was never able to recover from. Both teams missed field goals, so it could have been a bigger game. But if Boise State makes theirs, then it's a tie game and going to overtime. And you got to think at that point, Boise State would have had a, had the momentum to win the game in overtime. But alas, he missed a under forty yard field goal, just like the Illinois kicker. But he didn't have a chance to redeem himself to force overtime for Boise State. Yeah, was it was this game? I, I can't remember. Was it at BYU or was it at Boise State? Um, I forget. It might have been at BYU. Yeah, I was thinking it was at BYU. So you don't even have the the benefit of the blue turf to help you out there. Uh, bummer to see Boise State lose. Uh, ever since Chris Peterson coached them and they they beat Adrian Peterson in Oklahoma back in what was that? Was that the Fiesta Bowl? Yeah, well, hopefully. Yeah, or something. and yeah. Uh, it's it's just been it's fun to watch them rise. Uh, hopefully, they can take this loss and and recover from it and still go to a decent bowl game. Uh, I really haven't been following them much this year at all, so I didn't know about the the impressive resume that this freshman quarterback is putting together for Boise State. But it sounds like whenever he comes back, business should be uh, to to use the term of a now ostracized wide receiver. Uh, business should be booming. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully the playoff committee doesn't penalize him too much as long as Bachmeyer comes back and if they go out and win the rest of their games, win the Mountain West Conference, which would make him go what twelve and one on the season, that they mm-hmm. still would even have a chance to get the group of five bid into the New Year's six bowl game. So I think they still have a chance at that as if they can win out, but now they obviously have no margin for error for the rest of the season. Yeah, you're right. They have to win out. So, hey, Caleb, you know, jumping into the next game, James Franklin's previous school, Vanderbilt, took on and defeated top 25. So number 22 ranked Missouri. Missouri with their quarterback, Kelly Bryant, uh, who was the quarterback at Clemson before Lawrence took over there. Uh, He came in at quarterback and really did not perform well. 35.7 QBR. Uh, He had a 50% completion, 140 yards, one touchdown, one pick, and then he ran the ball 16 times for 72 yards. Missouri is undefeated at home. They're 5-0 and right now, but they are really struggling on the road. They're 0-2 there. Vanderbilt's running back, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, 29 rushes, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Four receptions, 80 yards, and another touchdown. So, you know, 176 yards total offense. It was an impressive performance by him, uh, and it's got to be a disappointing loss for Missouri, especially for Kelly Bryant. Yeah, this is this is going to be following them all season if they keep losing on the road like this, that they can only win at home, things like that. Missouri, when we were talking about the the top defenses, that Penn, Penn State being a top five defense a week or two ago, Missouri was surprisingly up there pretty close. They were a top 10, I think, in both yards per game allowed and points per game allowed. So it seemed like that has been their defense more that has been carrying and maybe more than Kelly Bryant has. So Clemson maybe made the right choice at quarterback, even if Trevor yep. Lawrence is struggling a little bit here, Kelly Bryant, maybe even more so, but yeah, this will be tough. I think for Missouri to overcome. Um, they had been 
looking at it pretty good, I think, with Florida. Are they in the Big Ten? Are they in the SEC East or what? I think they're in the East with Florida and Georgia. So with Florida and Georgia both losing the week before, I think they had a chance to make the SEC title game. But those uh, those hopes are not dashed completely, but much slimmer at this point. Yeah, they're pretty close to to being over for them. All right, moving on to the Big Ten schedule. As you mentioned, Friday night, number four Ohio State rolling along, crushing Northwestern 52-3. to Justin Fields, another great day at the office, 18-23, 194 yards, four touchdowns, 91 QBR. J.K. Dobbins, 120 yards, one touchdown on fewer than 20 carries. Northwestern's quarterback, on the other hand, 6-20, of 20, 42 yards, one interception for a sub-10 QBR. Do you think uh, Pat Fitzgerald's on the hot seat? I'm in most programs. You would think yes, absolutely. Look at how how poorly the team performs. But Northwestern and and there's still a lot of people that have great respect for Fitzgerald. So I don't know if it's hot yet. I think it might be warming up. Um, I and it's tough too because Northwestern is a smaller school, and so they do have a harder time bringing people in. Um, but I'm. I just feel like he's doing a pretty good job with that program considering all the factors there around him. But maybe it is time for them to look at some sort of change and, and do something to bring Northwestern to dominance. Now, the big story here, too, for me, and, and this is just something I, I've been enjoying following. Caleb, is anybody playing better ball right now than Fields? Yeah, maybe not. Um, obviously, Jalen Hurts has the gaudy numbers playing at Oklahoma, but – he hasn't been. He wasn't quite as good against Texas recently. Um, both have played, I think, pretty similar schedules. Not too hard quite yet, but you can only play who's in front of you. And you know, he's not turning the ball over. He's throwing the ball efficiently, running when he needs to, which isn't too much with a great running back in J. J. K. Dobbins and a mm-hmm. and an elite defense. That's I think they're up to number one or number two in the in points per game allowed with Wisconsin allowing a few more points this week than usual. But yeah, he, he may be the best quarterback in the country right now. Yeah. I'm just playing phenomenal football, throwing the ball. Well, running the ball. Well, uh, it seems like any time that you hear analysts talk about him, they talk about the great decisions that he's making, you know, and I get Jake Fromm's a great quarterback and I still believe that Georgia made a good call, you know, go with the guy, you know, versus the guy you don't. But, um, I wonder if the Bulldogs are looking a little bit longingly at Ohio State right now. Yeah, it could be. Next game we got here, we have number 20, Minnesota, staying undefeated with an easy win over Rutgers, 42-7. to Johnny Langan, the quarterback for Rutgers, 9 of 19, 48 yards, three interceptions for a poultry 2.1 QBR. But that is an improvement over last week when his QBR was about 1.2. Um. Yeah, so obviously pretty easy. They, Minnesota plays Maryland next week or this upcoming week. Then they have a bye before they – I think they host Penn State. I think Penn State has to travel to play Minnesota. So they should be 8-0 and going into that game. So this is definitely going to be the uh, a tougher game than we thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, you're right on that, Caleb. Uh, Minnesota is playing really, really good football right now. Uh, but, you know, again, as you pointed out too – this last week's game was Rutgers. And honestly, I'm pretty sure respectful. No, I mean, maybe not even respectfully. Uh, I think there might be some high school teams in Texas that could challenge Rutgers sometimes with the way that things are happening. I mean, a two point, what was it? 2.1. Uh, 2.1 QBR. Holy cow. I mean, that, that, that's painful. Yeah, Minnesota's <laughs> been giving up some points. So it's not like there's some great defense with the great secondary players. Right. I mean, Minnesota just Minnesota has the benefit of being a good uh, over, overall team. So if the defense gives up points, the offense can put some up on the board too, obviously. But, uh, yeah, mm, not a not a good look for Rutgers. I know they're still looking for a coach. I'm not really sure I want to coach there, though, if I'm seeing these sort of statistics coming out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this seems like a job for a coach that's, you know, kind of being a little bit shunned by FBS programs at the time, maybe someone like Art Bryles, someone like that, who's finding a hard time to get get another coaching job. Maybe he can get his resume boosted by doing something like that, turning Rutgers around even to a bowl team, getting them to six six wins. But yeah, I don't know why anyone would really want that job. Yeah, it's it's not a good place that you want to go 
and coach at as of right now. And as we've seen before, too, you know, again, Wisconsin's loss, that was huge with Minnesota in the driver's seat right now. Um, Wisconsin has typically dominated the West, minus, I think, maybe one year that uh, Northwestern. Yeah, I think last took- year Northwestern may have got into the into the Big Ten title game. Yeah, and then got destroyed by Ohio State, if I remember. Yep. So maybe uh, maybe Minnesota is the third team from the West to get there. Yeah, and Iowa did a few years ago, I think, when uh, they weren't undefeated. Oh, and But then got – and I think that was like Iowa, Michigan State, Big Ten, and everyone was like, oh, right. do we really want to put Iowa in? And they lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm... <laughs> Ooh, man, it's <laughs> – I still remember the good old days. Whenever there were no divisions in the Big Ten. Of course, now I do love the conference championship game, so I'm not going to complain that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, speaking of Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> no, you go ahead, Caleb. Yeah, they uh, they avoid their third straight loss by beating Purdue 26-20. Nate Stanley, another okay day at the office. 23-33, 260 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, 63 QBR. Iowa, two touchdowns, four field goals. So they're still struggling to get the ball into the end zone as they double up the field goals as to the amount of touchdowns. And Purdue's not a great team there. Their uh, quarterback and wider, star wide receiver are still out. So we saw what uh, what Purdue can do with their backup quarterback and not all their starting wide receivers against Penn State a few weeks ago. So not a great performance by Iowa, but when you're when – you, when you go on a two-game losing streak, you need a rebound game, and sometimes it's uh, tough. Can be tough. Yeah, and it, it seems like Iowa is struggling to find its offensive identity. You know, does it want to run the ball? Uh, does it want to work off the play action more, and then set up the run? They they have a lot of things to work out there offensively. Defense still playing pretty good football, and so uh, you know, for now they're just going to have to ride heavily on that and hope the defense will take them to to the wins throughout the season until they can find some way for, for Nate Stanley to have a little bit more consistency there. Yep. Finally here, we got Indiana beating Maryland 34, 28 since Maryland upset temple and got ranked the following week. They're one in four. I know they've had some injuries at quarterback, but um, that's still not a great stretch. I know they played some tougher teams in there, but Indiana is not a great team. So do you think uh, their coach Loxley should be on the hot seat? I think Loxley came into this position knowing that it is a rebuilding and I I'm willing to wager that uh that the athletic director director kind of realized that too. That being said, after Durkin got fired last season, they the team did kind of put together some some pretty good wins. So they're another team maybe maybe Loxley's seat isn't hot, but it's definitely warming up. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, you kind of have to show some kind of unity there. They had the terrible incident last year where their player died during practice, training camp, whatever it was. And they did kind of bond together and put together a decent season last year. And then they got off to the hot start this year. So maybe give them a little bit more time before. I mean, Maryland's obviously not a traditionally great program and they're stuck in the big 10 east with penn state ohio state michigan michigan state all programs with better track records than them so it does make it tough to put up a winning record every year get even get to a bowl game but give him a couple more years see what see if he can build something and you know beat one of one of those four teams every year and then that's off to a good start i think yeah i'm typically inclined to in college at least give the guys some time to get his his guys in there on the roster. Um, you know, with with Michigan, whenever Brady Ho came in, with Rich Rodriguez's guys, you know, Rodriguez, Rodriguez got fired. Then his guys came in, and we saw them have a stretch of uh, of a couple good seasons. I'd be willing to I'd be willing to give Loxley at least a couple more years before starting to think about anything like firing him. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving outside the Big Ten. Big uh, big top 25 matchup between Oregon and Washington. Oregon coming back to win that one, 35-31. They trailed 28-14 early in the third quarter. It was a good quarterback duel. Herbert, 24-38, 280 yards, four touchdowns, over an 80 QBR. 
Jacob Eason for Washington, 22 of 30, 289 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, good for a 77 QBR. Oregon with the win pretty much locks up the Pac-12 North. Washington and Stanford are tied for second. They each already have three losses in conference. Oregon, of course, is undefeated in conference. So we already know one of the teams that will be playing in the Pac-12 title game. It's just who their opponent will be. What are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, every... I've had a lot of questions about Oregon. Uh, really curious if Justin Herbert really is this this big prospect, or is he kind of like the poor man's Jake Locker? And and then he has these sort of games that makes that make me really think. No, this, you know, Locker didn't do this kind of stuff. At least not as frequently as as Herbert is. So it's impressive. I think Herbert and Eason are both going to be playing on Sundays. I think we could see both their names being called in the first round, depending on how desperate teams are at the quarterback position. But these are the fun games whenever both quarterbacks are, are strong competitors and can put up numbers like that. Um, What are you, what are you thinking about, about Easton transferring from Georgia and now playing up in Washington and uh, not maybe the success, but uh, the progress or, or what he's been able to do with Washington. Yeah, clearly it's been a tough season for Washington overall. They've been hanging right around, but going back and forth between a ranked and unranked. Easton, though, obviously with a great game here, couldn't overcome, though. Justin Herbert on the other side of the field. I think he he's still, yeah, as you said, a good quarterback prospect. Could be called in the first round, if not probably definitely the second or third round for him, depending on what what the team what teams need when they're drafting quarterbacks, but I think he's he's shown why he still got the starting job at Georgia originally before he got hurt and Fromm took over and took the team to the national championship game. Um, yeah, overall a good good game for Meeson. Yeah. Now, Caleb, you picked up a game on me in our, our pick, so another game on top of me, and it was because I picked Arizona State number 17 to, to defeat number 13 Utah. I had some questions about Utah. Uh, Clearly, they were a little bit misplaced, though, because Utah, man, they smoked Arizona State, winning 21-3. Jalen Daniels, the quarterback for Arizona State, playing slightly better than Rutgers quarterback with a 4.6 QBR, uh, 4 for 18. Now get ready for this number, 25 yards and an interception. Yeesh. Zach Moss, uh, Utah running back, he breaks the team's career rushing record. Uh, so this is a game that I doubt too many people were putting their DDR on for or, or checking out, um, but it did have its own interesting uh, divots and, and storylines within here as well, especially with uh, Arizona State and Herm Edwards, you know, having left his job as an analyst, having left his job as an NFL head coach before that, uh, now coaching at this program. I think he's, what, three seasons into this job yeah. and trying to build this program up. Ranked in the top 20, gets that big bummer of a loss. Yeah, I think this kind of puts Utah back on track to be the favorites to win the Pac-12 South and face Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. I think Utah only has one loss, so I think they still have a small chance to make it to the college football playoff. Obviously, they have to win out from here from here on. But yeah, tough, tough game for Arizona State's offense. Kudos to Utah's defense, shutting them down like that, holding them to three points allowing only four completions from the starting quarterback. It was, uh, as we said a couple weeks ago, I think a lot of these teams on the Pac-12 are all good, but that means they can, they're not great, so they can be beaten off any given week by pretty much any other team in the conference. Yeah, any given Saturday. Yeah, next one here. Number 15, Texas, off the disappointing loss to Oklahoma last week, escaping Kansas, bottom feeder there, 50-48. to 48. Les Miles almost picking up a conference win for Kansas here. As we said, 50-48, to 48, 50 total points in the fourth quarter alone, so over half the points there. Texas had a defensive two-point conversion that turns out to be the difference as they won only by two. Dicker, the kicker, winning it with a 33-yard field goal as time expired. So they were down on this one, 47-48 before that kick happened. Um, Texas is not looking good right now. No, they, they really seem to be struggling, which is weird because Sam Ellinger at the start of the season was playing such great football, having huge games where he was performing well in, in critical moments. 
And then, you know, they, they you're right. They play Les Miles' Kansas team, and Les Miles is, I think, a, a coach that we all know is going in there trying to rebuild a program that has fallen apart and almost beats Texas here. Um, I'm concerned. Are you? Yeah, obviously, when they lost last week, that was their second loss. They're done for the playoff this year. But um, you still got to rebound. You still have a chance to make it to the Big 12 title game because the top two teams make it. So if they win out, they still can get their revenge on Oklahoma in a few weeks. But this is clearly a team that's down right now. They couldn't. They barely recovered in this one. Ellinger, yeah, not a great game for him after a disappointing game last week against Oklahoma as well. He is clearly fallen out of the Heisman race. I mean, he was never going to be a first-round quarterback. He seems more of a, um, a Trace McSworley type that can run and throw a little bit both, but doesn't have really the great arm to make it in the NFL. Maybe be a backup quarterback, not a... Not a great se- – I think it's his senior season now. So not a great mm-hmm. – doesn't seem to be a great ending to his career as they – we've heard every year now for the past, what, five years, maybe even more, that Texas is it back. It feels like a million. Yep. Basically ever since uh, Mac Brown left, that Texas is back. But another season where Texas is clearly not back. Yeah, very, very clearly. Uh, now, this was a this was a fun game that uh, I had to turn off because my wife wanted to watch uh, something different. Number 24, Appalachian State, takes on University Lafayette Monroe, or University Louisiana Monroe, would you believe it? Or was it Lafayette? Yeah, yeah Louisiana Monroe. UL Monroe. There we go. We're just going to say that. Takes on, stays unbeaten, 52-7. to 7. And here's a, big, here's a big thing here. This is the first time that a ranked Sun Belt team has ever won a football game, Cra- period. Crazy. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's strange. Um, and, you know, they're obviously helped, in this case, 52-7 to by a great defense. Appalachian State's defensive coordinator is Ted Roof. Ted Roof being the former defensive coordinator under, I believe it was Bill O'Brien at Penn State before leaving to go be the head coach at Georgia Tech. And then I think he was fired at Georgia Tech. So, you know. He puts together great defenses. I remember our defense looking great whenever we were under sanctions. Um, not surprised to see him have, have success here as well. Uh, hopefully Appalachian State can continue to climb, and maybe pretty soon we will stop expecting the, the quote-unquote upsets from them, and or we'll stop calling them upsets, and we'll just say they're a good team. Let's not forget that. Yeah, good. Uh, it's good grab for the Sun Belt Conference getting Appalachian State as they came up from the FCS a few years ago. Um, we see uh, we're seeing as we'll talk a little bit more later. Liberty trying to do that too. I, I still think they're an independent team right now. I don't think they're in a, a part of a conference. So maybe the Sun Belt should scoop up Liberty as well as they're they're putting together a decent season this this year. So good for the Sun Belt getting finally getting a ranked win. Appalachian State clearly is a great team. They're, uh, they seem to be uh, getting to that Boise State TCU level of the group of five teams that are constantly a thorn in the side. Power five conference teams don't really want to play them because they know they can easily be upset and cost them a shot at the playoff or their conference title game. But yeah, this is a good win for Appalachian State and good good for the conference overall. Yeah, absolutely. I... Um, next one here. Virginia Tech beating North Carolina 43-41. You ask, why do we talk about that game? Because it went to six overtimes. Uh, new rules this year. After four overtimes, you have to go for a two-point conversion. Like, that's all you get to do is just go for a two-point conversion. You don't. There's no actual drive. If you convert it, great. You get your two points. If not, you get your zero points and hope the other team doesn't get it either. So this was the first time the rule has been implemented this year. Or actually ever because the rules rule just started this year. So in the first overtime, both teams made a field goal. Second overtime, both teams touched down. Third overtime, both teams missed a field goal. Same with the fourth overtime. So that's when we got to the fifth overtime. Neither team made their two-point conversion there. And then obviously in the sixth overtime, only Virginia Tech got it. Tough blow there for Mac Brown after uh, he had a problem. Him and North Carolina had a promising start to their season, but it seems to have gone downhill a little bit here. So what do you think of these new rules? I think the NFL needs to start looking and paying attention to what the college game is doing. This is clearly what I like about college overtime is that it is very clearly which team can outduel the other, which team's tougher, which team's better. Um, Both teams have the opportunity to win, and it's all about who doesn't win first. Really unfortunate for Mac Brown. This is his second overtime loss this season, and the first one – 
being against Clemson and now this happening to him. But these overtime, I mean, that's why these overtimes are here. It's to prove who is the team, who's the better team on that Saturday. Uh, you liking them? I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I enjoy the um, college overtime rules. If they were to implement them ever in the NFL, I want to move back a little bit from the 25 because even though there's not every team has a great kicker, most should be able to make a 42-yard field goal even if the team got no yards. So I would move it back maybe to the 35, 40, even midfield I'd be happy with. So the team has to at least put together a little bit of a drive before they can get into field goal range. But overall, yeah, I like these. It's less wear and tear for the teams, especially on defense. Helps with player safety. I don't know if you need to go to two-point conversions because how many games get to fifth and sixth overtime? We see it maybe once a year. We saw with the what, Texas A&M LSU game last year that went to seven overtimes. That kind of prompted this rule as the mm-hmm. game kept going on and on, and you could tell the players were just exhausted. Right. But, yeah, I think overall I like the college overtime rules a little better than the NFL. They are so, so, so much better. They're actually fun to watch over time yep. in, uh, in college football. Yeah. Well, hey, Caleb, you ready to uh, talk Penn State? Yeah, let's get to it. Okay, so Penn State, huge game, our fourth game under the lights whenever we take on the Michigan Wolverines. Over 110,000 fans show up, and Penn State starts with an early 21 to nothing lead. Uh, then Michigan makes it competitive, and uh, fortunately for Penn State – being seven and a half point favorites, they win by seven. They win twenty-eight to twenty-one after Ronnie Bell, wide receiver for Michigan, who is typically sure-handed, uh, drops a game-tying touchdown with uh, with little time left. Home team in the series has now won four in a row, and this was this is the second game in a stretch of games that we were pretty concerned about with Penn State. We thought you know if there's a part in the schedule that we don't like, this is it. But Penn State so far is two and zero in it. Um, it was our whiteout game, and this takes us from five and six to six and six in whiteout games. And I was kind of critical of it on Twitter because I'm thinking, you know, is there really that much of an advantage to the whiteout? And um, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great college atmosphere, but sometimes I'm wondering if it is getting a little overhyped and if that is leading to you know, maybe some unreasonable expectations or if that leads to the players thinking, Oh, it's a whiteout. It's a sure thing. Uh, or I don't know. I just, I kind of have some questions about it. What do you think on that? Yeah. I'm guessing part of the numbers are because, you know, you, you did it during the lull time with all the infractions and suspensions going That's on. True. So they probably didn't have a great record during those years and the final years of Joe Paterno when the team wasn't quite as good as it had been in the, in the 90s especially so i think that's probably part of it because what now i think they're three and one in their last four right against it they lost to ohio state last year but they beat michigan two years ago and i think they won it three years ago also so maybe that's finally starting to turn around where they where they're getting better results and if you're doing it against you know your toughest opponent that you play at home each year it's you're not going to go 12 and 0 in these whiteout games when you're playing when you're doing it against ohio state when you're doing it against michigan it's you know it's not always going to be easy to win those games even if you're at home even if you're as loud as the crowd was especially getting off to that 21 nothing lead in the first first half but um hopefully now that the team's good consistently and that we know we can win at home that um this maybe the record starts to improve even more yeah, I, yeah, I hope so, Caleb. This is a, this, it is a really cool tradition, and, and Kirk Herbstreit and others have said, you know, this is the best atmosphere in college sports, and so, you know, I would hate for us to be a part of something that that doesn't correlate to success. Uh, the three to one, that that's a good point I hadn't thought about, so uh, that does make me feel a little bit better. And the noise, it, it you know, it did help us get off to a fast start, too, with uh, with fifteen minutes left in the first quarter. Uh, I'll say that one more time. With 15 minutes left in the first quarter, Michigan has to call a timeout because of the noise. That was that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, they caused at least what two other false start penalties. They caused some, even some offsides. I think Michigan got called for there. So I yep. don't know. The crowd's obviously usually quieter when Penn State's on offense because they want to be able to make sure uh, Sean Clifford can communicate to his running backs and wide receivers and offensive linemen. But even that still probably has something to do with the atmosphere that's going on, even if they're not as quite as loud as when uh, Penn State's on defense. Yeah. 
I'm glad we had this conversation about the whiteout. It's brought it's brought me back onto team whiteout after being a little bit nervous about it. Um, Great. College game day was in State College. Lara Spencer from, I believe, is Good Morning America. Yeah. She's uh, also on uh, Flea Market Flip on, I think, on HGTV. Becca likes to watch that, so okay. make sure you check that out, too. Yeah, all shows I don't watch. Um, she picks Penn State. Lee Corso puts on the Nittany Line headgear. He picks Penn State. Des, a Michigan alum, of course, picks Michigan. Um but, yeah, it, it was a game that started with really strong offensive firepower. Sean Clifford, like we said, gets us off to a 21 to nothing start. Has some really good big throws early on, but it seemed like the Ricky Ronnie special started to kick in. And uh, the Ricky Ronnie special being we're up, and then all of a sudden we play super defensive. We do we, – we call weird plays that just don't seem to go together. Like the one game where I think we, it was like third and 18, and we call it draw up the middle. Um it was it was just weird, and so we started to stall out after that. But Clifford does still have a good day, 14-25, 182 yards, three touchdowns. And the big thing here, he did not turn the ball over, and that is pivotal in these games. 60.3 QBR, uh, but to be fair, I do think his QBR is so low because I because of the Ricky Ronnie specials. And, uh, and sorry, Ricky, you know, I'm just, I haven't been too thrilled with the play calling as of late. Uh, Cool story, though, after, after the game, there are a lot of big uh, potential prospects at this game. And uh, a prospect that committed after was Liam Clifford, Sean Clifford's little brother. I believe he plays wide receiver. So it'll be mm-hmm. awesome to see him in the blue and white next season. Um, hopefully we'll be able to, to see Clifford and, and Liam connect maybe on, a, maybe on a pass or two. K.J. Hamler. Huge day uh, after being basically silent last year. He gets six receptions, 108 yards, two touchdowns, including a huge, I believe it was 52-yard touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. Um, the fun story with, with Hamler was that he and Clifford have been buddies since eighth grade, and and Clifford is the reason why Hamler is at Penn State. So, Sean, thank you so much for that. Yeah, I think he would have gone to Michigan State if not. So, big, big boost. Yeah, so Thank you, Sean. Uh, after the game, they're interviewed together where they're talking about, you know, Clifford talking about, you know, like, I love this guy. And KJ saying, you know, this is my quarterback. It's, it was cool. Um, Pat Firemuth, great touchdown grab. Started out quiet in the season, but he is now second on the team in receptions and touchdowns. Dotson, pretty quiet. One reception, 37 yards. Caleb, what are your thoughts on this run game right now? Um, we went back to the rotation for some reason. Noah Kane had seemed to assert himself over the last two weeks, but to, uh, on Saturday night he only got five carries for 19 yards. Ricky Slade, three for 48, including that uh, electric 44-yard run, his by far his best run of the season this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Journey Brown, four carries. Uh, Ford, only one carry for two yards. Um, yeah, not too excited about that. Hopefully Ronnie and uh, Franklin get back to giving Keane the ball more. I mean, maybe he doesn't need 20 carries a, a week, but 12, 15, 18 carries a week is, I think, definitely best for this Penn State offense. Yeah, and Kane didn't even get the start. Journey Brown was the starter in this game. Uh, frustrating because all game, people are wondering on Twitter, I'm sitting on my couch wondering, why isn't Kane coming in? But did you notice... Whenever the game was on the line and we needed somebody to get a first down, we put in Kane. Mm-hmm. Why are we waiting until the fourth quarter to use him, Caleb? I don't know. Maybe they have a little some questions about his um, his overall fitness. Maybe he can't. Maybe they don't think he can handle it, even though he's got about twenty carries each of the last two weeks. So maybe he was getting tired towards the end of the game. And they didn't like that, so they wanted to save him. But when um, when you got up twenty-one nothing, you got to run the ball. You got to waste as much time as possible obviously you want to still attack but Noah Kane can be an explosive back from time to time too and getting the run game going that gives you a little bit more action on the play action you know the linebackers will bite and that gives Hamler more more time and more space to operate and get open and go for the deep ball yeah uh, and and Caleb we were we were really fortunate to come out with this win Michigan had 82 plays compared to our 54 Michigan's time of possession 37 minutes 45 seconds Penn State's time of possession 22 minutes 15 seconds you know people may want to critique how the defense played down the stretch of this game but if you are on the field 
that entire ball game for almost 40 minutes, I'm going to be pretty tired too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely giving the defense somewhat of a pass there with getting almost two-to-one time advantage. So they were on the field all the time. I still think they played an overall good game. You know, they hunt them down till late in the second quarter till they till the, the Michigan finally scored some points. Uh, we only had one sack though. That's a little tough. Garrett Taylor, the safety coming in for the sack there. Castro Fields with a nice interception. Um, the run game, I think, finally had its worst performance of the year. Overall, I think it was about three, three and a half yards per carry. But Charbonnet, the freshman running back. 15 carries, 81 yards, two touchdowns, good for nearly five and a half yards per carry. The They did do an overall good job of shutting down Patterson, 24, 41, 276, and an interception. He also, I think, had a QB sneak for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The linebackers, though, had a great game. Micah Parsons, 14 tackles. Cam Brown, 10. They were all over the field. Parsons was great, especially in the first half. He he was a little more invisible in the second half, but 14 tackles on 82 total plays. So he was he was pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I'm wondering if by the second half they finally realized, hey, stop running the ball to number 11. Because, uh, yeah, he was everywhere. That sack that Garrett Taylor had on Patterson, I mean, how awesome was it to see him come in with that speed and just nail him, you know? I loved it. <laughs> yep. um, I'm a little concerned about the cornerback play, though, The especially the last two weeks. You know, the season started out, and uh, John Reed was, was playing lights out really really strong defensive performances. Tariq Castro Field, some people were critical of, but I thought he started the season off on a good note. And he did have the interception in this game, but I feel like they're giving up a lot of a lot of plays at critical moments, whether that is on third down or if it's just a deep pass that sets up and extends a drive and it takes a drive that should have gone nowhere and puts the opposing team into scoring position. And the reason why I'm concerned about this is, and you know, I'm looking down the stretch now, uh, not because of East Lansing, well, slightly because of East Lansing, but more so because of Columbus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good point on the third down. I think they put up the graphic at one point, and Shea Patterson started the game five for six on third down with five mm-hmm. first downs, and a lot of those were long ones, you know. Parsons seemed to be in the backfield, and it was, you know, third and a nine, third and 11, something like that. So these weren't easy, you know, five-yard completions for first downs. These were 10, 15-yard completions that were they were giving up for first downs. And I think they also mentioned on the broadcast, Kirk brought it up, that um, they were rotating out a lot of guys. And part of that, obviously, is because they were tired with the 82 plays on defense. So, you know, Reed wasn't in there every single play. Tariq Castrofields wasn't in there every single play. It seemed like he almost got benched for a drive or something like that. They showed him on the sideline during the one drive. So, you know, maybe yeah, Ellis the, struggled. Yep, Ellis struggled a little bit too. So maybe that was part of it. You know, when you're rotating in and out guys, some of those guys don't have quite as much much experience as John Reed, who's a fifth fifth year senior coming back. So maybe that was part of the part of the problem on defense this week. Last week we kind of gave them a pass because part of their struggles were these phantom penalties that the officiating crew was calling on, especially John Reed for some reason. But this mm-hmm. week. They did. I mean, Shea Patterson wasn't great, but he was, I mean, still okay. So, And he's kind of just been an okay quarterback this year, so they didn't bring him down another level, which you would expect a top defense to do. Which we were hoping they would do. Uh, but, you know, still, Penn State's only given up, on average, 10 points a game. So still playing, still playing some pretty stout defense. Hey, speaking of Stout, let's talk special teams because Jordan Stout started the game off and I was immediately upset by the fact that the announcers didn't say his name correct. I'm like, come on, this guy, Jordan Stout, friend of the show, I mean, say his name correctly. Did a good job on kickoffs. Penninger, four for four on extra points. No field goals attempted in this game. Gillikin had a very important night. He had eight punts, 354 yards that's a 44 yard average and his long was 60 definitely did a good job in the field position game where there were a couple drives where he was kicking from from the end zone or right in front of the end zone and basically has makes uh, michigan have to drive the the length of the field so very thankful that we have a ray guy finalist kicking the ball for us whenever we have to punt on fourth down yeah imagine what his average would be if he um if he didn't have that really weird rugby-style punt, that one only went like 20, 30 yards, something like that. So his average could have even been better if he had 
not had that ugly pun. I think he did he get hit on that one too. Still, he seems to fall yeah. down on pretty much every punt and hasn't got a call. It seems like all season. Maybe they're just saving them for the Ohio State game. Yeah. Uh, I think though, whenever he got hit in this game, they said it was because one of his own teammates got blocked into, or the the defender got blocked into Gillikim. But still, I mean, come on. Two weeks on the ground, three times. Can we just get one flag for that? Uh, yeah. I feel like we're not asking for, for too much, but uh, you know that's the past. Now we get to look forward. Uh, I am really looking forward to this week's game, Caleb. Not not really because of the Penn State game. I'm really looking forward to it because now I'm watching it with you, your wife, and especially your baby daughter. But I'm still excited about the Penn State game, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Penn State takes on Michigan State in East Lansing. We are 15-17-1 against Michigan State. We are the six-and-a-half-point favorite despite being 1-5 in the last six games. And the last time we were in East Lansing, we had this really weird three-hour weather delay. We lost 21 to 17 last year. And, you know, one of the reasons why I said I'm concerned about corner play and, and I had to walk back a little bit was because bad corner play is what led to this 21 17 loss last year. Yep. Has me sweating a little Still bit. Still have nightmares of Amani Oriarie dropping that interception that would have ended the game. Which of the three, right? Yep. No. <laughs> the last one. The yeah. Probably could have returned it and for a Michigan, pick six. Yeah, I mean, there were plenty of times where he should have got them. But, you know, he's playing for the Lions now. Uh, not the Nittany Lions, the Detroit Lions. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can have a, a good NFL career there because he was a great player for us. Michigan State's 4-3 and three on the year, 2-2 two and two in the conference. Uh, Lowerke is their starting quarterback still this year. 11 touchdowns, 3 interceptions, but he's still having some up-and-down performances as well. What are your big thoughts on this game? What are going to be the key takeaways from this game, do you think? Yeah, as you mentioned, Michigan State's 4-3, and three, but their three losses are to, I think, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Arizona State. So all three ranked teams... Right. They did get blown out by Ohio State and Wisconsin, uh, second straight year losing to Arizona State and Herm Edwards. So they are maybe slightly better than their 4-3 and three record indicates, but I think they're kind of similar to Iowa. They don't have a great offense. If Lewerke's not playing great, which he hasn't most of the season, he, their, their offense is just isn't going to score many points. Their defense will probably hold us down for a little bit, but if... You know, you do something like this this past week and get up to a 21 nothing lead early, you know, even 17 nothing, something like that. I think you can kind of put them away. Obviously, we've had some nightmarish games against Michigan State recently, but um, you, can, you know, you kind of just have to get over that. Michigan State isn't playing quite as good as they have been in years past. So I think our offense just needs to score early and keep on the pressure throughout the whole game. Yeah, I agree with you on that, and and you're right about that pressure component. You know, we have both of our or two of our defense linemen, Shaka Tony. Also, real quick clarification: last week we said Shaka Tony's mother liked the show, um, and I assume that because it's under L Tony's Twitter profile, it said mother. I'm like, oh, it must be Shaka's mom. No, it is Shaka Tony's sister, which makes much more sense because she looks a lot younger um, than somebody. That, that would have a college-age kid. So, uh, sorry, sorry, L. Tony. But Tony and Gross Matos, each with five and a half sacks on the season, keeping that pressure pressure up front is going to be pivotal in shutting down the run, and it's also going to be incredibly vital in making sure Lewerke has to move outside the pocket so that he can't get comfy and make these big throws uh, down the field. That's the that's the big thing about taking out Lewerke, I think, is, is getting him moving. I don't think he's as efficient of a passer then. I mean, I really don't think he's an efficient passer in general. But I also thought the same thing about Shea Patterson and Nate Stanley in our defense because our corner play struggled there. So John Reed, Tariq, uh, Castro Fields, Ellis, and and others, they need to they need to really step up and, and play big this game. We don't want to lose this one. Um, if we can go into Ohio State 3-0 down this stretch and come out of it 3-1 or 4-0, I mean, we – I don't think that there's a denial that, that we would be in that playoff contention. For sure. Lewerke's only been sacked 10 times this year. None of the other quarterbacks have been sacked at all. So their offensive line is playing good. So that means Gross Matos, Tony, Windsor, all those great defensive linemen that we have have to step up if they want to get some pressure on them. Um, their running game hasn't been great overall. 3.6 yards per carry as a whole on a team. 
top receiver this year is Daryl Stewart, who has 46 catches for 683 yards. So he's having a pretty good year, four touchdowns. But, um, yeah, if we can get some pressure against a seemingly a pretty good offensive line, then I think we can put this game away. Yeah, we just need to keep an eye out for Elijah Collins. He is their starting running back, 98 attempts, uh, five-yard average. His long on the season, 58 yards, three touchdowns. So it's, it's going to be important for us to also bottle him up, which is something we do typically pretty well, um, especially with the big boys, with with Windsor, with Gross Matos, with Tony, and then with some phenomenal linebacker play from uh, from Lakita, from Jan Johnson, from Micah Parsons, from Cam Brown. You know, we have a really solid front seven. Again, it's, it's a top 10 defense, so we should be able to, to take care of business there. It, it's just that corner play, Caleb, and that's what – that's what's making me nervous right now. I, th- I think we can still win it, but we need some big plays. Yep. Ready to get into our game picks? Let's do it. All right. Since um, I'm sure as some of you have caught on from time to time, we like to say who you got a lot in this in this segment. So we're going to officially name this segment who you got. Last week, Phil, you won 6-2, and two, gives you 35 wins on the year. I won 7-1, and one, picked up another game on you, so I'm up to 37 wins on the year. The first game, the big game of the weekend, at number 13, Wisconsin at number 3, Ohio State, who is a 14.5-point favorite at home. Phil, who you got? First of all, credit to Becca for coming up with the idea to calling uh, this segment, Who You Got? I think, it'll, I think it's a lot of fun. This is a this is a game where it's an angry Wisconsin team, and it's against a team that has not. I, I really haven't seen anybody play better quarterback or better ball than Justin Fields, so it should be a really good game. Again, Ohio State fourteen and a half point favorite. I am going to pick Ohio State in this game. It is home at the Horseshoe, or um, it, yeah, it's home uh, in Columbus, but I do not think they cover the spread. I think this is maybe a ten point game. Who you got? I'm taking Wisconsin. I'm going for the upset. I think they were looking forward to this game now that they got their butts handed to them a little bit by Illinois last week on the shocking upset. I think they'll be even more motivated to go into Columbus um, Saturday afternoon. I think this is a noon game going to there. Ohio State hasn't been tested all year, so maybe if they get a little pressure on them, you know, it's only a game's tied at halftime or even a one-score game at halftime that uh, Wisconsin can pull this one off. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is obviously having a great year of running back. So is J.K. Dobbins, and they're maybe the two best running backs in the conference. I will take Wisconsin for the upset in this one. All right. Uh, so the next game that we have on our on our picks, Caleb, it's number nine Auburn at number two LSU. Who you got? I got to take LSU. I don't think this game is being played at night like some LSU games, so maybe not quite as big of a crowd influence there. But um, LSU, an 11.5-point favorite. Auburn was uh, upset by Florida a couple weeks ago on the road. This one, again, is on the road. LSU may be even more of a hostile environment than the Swamp in Florida. I will take Joe Burrow and LSU. Who you got? Well, LSU is a school that one of my colleagues, her, her oldest child, is there right now. He's a freshman at LSU running on, I believe, the track team. Um so I've been paying a little bit closer attention to LSU aside from the fact that they're a great team, Joe Burrow leaving the situation in Ohio state and now putting up impressive numbers. Uh, I like LSU more too. I think they are more complete. I think Bo Nix, I'm still not sold on him yet. Uh, may take a few more, few more games might just take a season for him to mature as a passer. Uh, so I'm picking LSU as well. Go Tigers. All right. Final top 25 matchup we have here. Number eight, Notre Dame traveling to number 19, Michigan. Michigan, a one-point home favorite. Phil, who you got? Don't you feel like there just haven't been as many good good top 25 matchups? Just before we get to the picks, too, because, you know, we're, we're already done with the top 25 matchups after this game. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. Going back to week one when uh, the only one was Auburn versus Oregon, and then the rest of the top 25 teams didn't play any – didn't play each other and they all won except for Oregon obviously because one team has to lose in that in that situation yeah it seems like that kind of set the tone for this year it's not too many top 25 games maybe some of that's teams like SMU teams like Appalachian State making their way into the top 25 so obviously their conferences aren't quite as good as the power five conferences so it's harder to play top 25 matchups when only one maybe two teams from the conference are in the top 25. 
Yeah, and and so looking at this game, I think this is a big litmus test for Notre Dame and, and Ian Book and Brian Kelly. Uh, they are number eight. They are traveling to Michigan, but this is, you know, it, it even though it is an away game, there, there's still a lot of support around there. That being said, I imagine we will be seeing the maize and blue uh, in full force in the big house. Notre Dame, I, I Notre Dame is a team that can either come in and prove themselves big time in a game, or they can just utterly fall apart. Uh, I, I think they can win this game. Uh, I know Michigan is is a one point favorite. They're ranked number nineteen, coming off a disappointing loss to Penn State. But something, and and I don't know what it is. I have no analytics for it. Something is saying Notre Dame wins this game for me. So I'm picking Notre Dame. Who you got? I'll take the other side. I'll take Michigan. It's at home, so Harbaugh's obviously a little better at home in top 25 matchups than he is on the road. I think this is basically a must-win for Jim Harbaugh. If he loses this one, then um, obviously no one's going to give Michigan any respect for the rest of the year. They're be huge underdogs against Ohio State in the final game of the season. Who knows? And maybe if they lose this one, who knows if Harbaugh even makes it to the rest of the season because he hasn't beat Ohio State at all in his tenure there yet at Michigan. So I think this is maybe the biggest game of Jim Harbaugh's career at Michigan. So I think he needs this win, and I think he will get the win. Yeah, and Jim Harbaugh just sent out a letter saying that the idea that he has an exit plan to go to the NFL is ridiculous. Uh, and I think that's probably pretty ridiculous too, but but this is pivotal for him. Uh, what may not be as pivotal is our next game. Whenever we have two teams, I think they're both one and six, two of probably the worst teams in the FBS. Uh, UConn at UMass. UConn is the 10-point favorite in this game. Who you got? Yeah, I'll take the favorite. I'll take UConn. Um, on ESPN, a guy named Bill Connolly does this S&P plus ranking, something like that, and he ranks all, what's now, 130 or so FBS teams. And, yeah, these are two of the worst ones. I think UMass is the worst, and UConn's only a couple spots better than them. As you said, yeah, they're both 1-6 in the on the season so far. But I think UConn's done a little better against the spread, so I'll take UConn to win this one. How about you? Who you got? I am picking UMass in this game. Looking at the stats from it, it looks like UMass, even though they're losing, they are putting up good numbers offensively, and maybe they just needed another team to uh, to play against that was equally as terrible to get their second win on the season. I pick UMass here in uh, maybe what we can dub the first Caleb in football podcast, Toilet Bowl. <laughs> All right, next one we got here, another one with a not-so-great team, a Liberty as a four-point road favorite traveling to Rutgers. Uh, this may be Rutgers' best or second-best chance at getting win number two. They also play Illinois later in the year, so Rutgers could easily finish the year 1-11. and How about this, Phil? Who you got? I'm a Virginia boy, and, uh, you know, I go to high school football games on Fridays whenever they're home. And I think I've seen some, and I, I said this earlier, I think there may be some high school teams that could beat Rutgers. So I am picking Liberty in this game. Uh, it is a four-point spread. I think they definitely cover it. I think it's at least a touchdown win. I think Rutgers is in a miserable state of affairs right now that is going to take not only a new head coach, but it is going to take years of recruiting to rebuild what used to be a, uh, a pretty okay team. Who you got? Yeah, I'll take Liberty here too. I think they're five and two on the season. Hugh Freeze is coaching them from it seems like his deathbed. He was up in the press box the one game on a on a bed as he was recovering from some sort of surgery as they got blown out by Syracuse early in the year, but they've recovered nicely from there. They're they've done pretty well transitioning from the FCS to FBS. They've been able to schedule some good opponents and beat them this year and um, I think that continues this Saturday in New Jersey yes go Liberty um, now this game again people that haven't listened to the podcast before the reason why we pick the Western Kentucky game every year if you have ever played the NCAA football games classic games a lot of fun Caleb in college whenever we were roommates he uh, he used Western Kentucky as a dynasty mode because they were one of the worst teams and he took them from being absolutely terrible to winning multiple national championships so uh, for fun, we like to pick them. They are playing at Marshall, and they are five-and-a-half-point underdogs. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'll take Western Kentucky. They seem to be on a roll. They're up to, I think, five and two. Also undefeated in the conference so far. This will obviously be their toughest test in a while, however. But they did beat Army a few 
few weeks ago as an underdog. They were at home in that one, though. But I will take Western Kentucky to pull off another upset here. Phil, who you got? I got Western Kentucky, too. Uh, you know, we, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, and it looks like their defense is what's putting them together there. I think that's important in these sort of games, especially whenever you're away. Defense shows up big. That should lead to a victory. Go Hilltoppers. All right, and the big game for us for the weekend, number six, Penn State, six-and-a-half-point favorite, traveling to Michigan State in East Lansing. Phil, who you got? Okay, this is a tough game. Penn State, six-and-a-half-point favorite here, but as we pointed out, really not much success against Michigan State over the past several years. Cornerback play is kind of iffy, but, I mean, I love Sean Clifford. He's, he's playing really good football. I mean, he is – not that he's making us forget Trace. I will never forget Trace McSorley and what he did for the program. But he is kind of helping ease that transition by how dynamic he has been. Uh, and so I do think Sean Clifford and that offense will be able to help put us over the top here. Uh, six and a half point favor. I do not think we cover that spread, but I do think Penn State wins. I think they win 27 to 24. Caleb, who you got? Yep, I'll take Penn State as well. However, I will take them to cover the game. I got a score of 24 to 10. I think that... Um, They've done well so far in this tough stretch of games that we said we at the beginning of the year we hoped they could even go 2-1 and one again in this stretch. Now they have a chance at 3-0, so hopefully they don't blow it. So it's the final game. I think they have a bye next week, if I remember correctly. So, you know, a little bit, motiv- bit more of motivation so they can, you know, give it their all in this game. Finally, maybe get the East Lansing monkey off their back and beat Michigan State for only the second time in the last seven years, seven tries. I will take Penn State by a score of 24 to 10. I like it. Yep, we need that win. Well, hey, thank you to everybody that's been listening in. Uh, Again, we're two buddies from college that like to sit down and talk about college football together. Uh, We had conversations so much with our wives sitting next to us that we decided, hey, let's just uh, let's take it and put it on air and just see if anybody would like to listen. So if you like what you're listening to, we hope you'll connect with us on Twitter at CPFB podcast. It's for Caleb and Phil football podcast. Also, you can listen to us pretty much wherever you find podcasts. But in particular, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or in general, if you just listen to us, if you go to our Apple Podcast page and give us a five-star rating, we would really appreciate it. Again, we're two amateurs that just love talking college football, and we hope you enjoy our conversations as well. Caleb, any final words before we sign off? Go Penn State. Fight on. <laughs>